0: All right. Uh, first things first, we you know we changed the reading schedule. We're going to change it again. Uh, mainly because there is like a, the next two chapters are longer then the chapters after that are really short. So we're next week is chapters just eight and nine. Yeah, should we right or? Because we had 5, 6, and 7 this week, right? Yep. 8 and 9 next week. And then uh, after that, I think we have four chapters because they're real short. Anywho. There you go. Chapters 8 and 9. We meet George McDonald finally. No, no, that's uh, one week at a time. I can't can't remember what Pastor Buch said. Yep. Okay, uh, characters from this last week, 5, 6, and 7, we have Fat Ghost, he's otherwise known as a bishop, and uh, we know that, well, first of all, he says it, and that, or uh, uh, somebody says it, but you know from the gators, the gators, that's Bishop Garb in the Church of England at this time. So, I had to look up gators, because I, I was trying to figure out gators... Well, I was thinking wading gators, but then I, that didn't make sense because then he would be inside the river, which means he would be solid. So I had to look that up. And then I realized that it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of clerical garb. All right, well, he's an apostate, though, so that, that's, that's nice. And then Dick, he's a solid being who knew the fat ghost while on earth. You presume he might be some sort of pastor or something? And then you have, uh, is it Ikey, Ikey, uh, Ikey? Icky sounds too icky, so I figured, that's terrible. All right, th- uh, he's a thieving ghost who tries to take something from heaven in order to make hell a little bit better. I think we see him in chapter 2 also. Um, I, put, I put a waterfall. It looks like a bright angel who stood like one crucified. Yeah, I tried to get Aiki to drop the apple. The hard-bitten man, suspicious but at the same time reliable. I put maybe. A uh, man who is cynical. Now, the interesting thing about this guy is there's no one else beside the narrator. I don't know if that means anything, but we don't know. No one else besides the he doesn't have he doesn't have a guide. He doesn't. There's no waterfall telling him to knock it off. Just him. Just him and the narrator. Oh, you and. Can't. Right. There's no one besides the narrator and him in the story. Krista. Who's I? Who's I? Yeah. That's the narrator. Okay. You mean, you mean Ike? Yeah. yeah, in the chapter, the I. So it's the it's, it's narrator and this hard-bitten man. I don't know. I, I, I thought he was, he was a guy who's been everywhere. He seems to be in this position for a long time. He might go back. He might not. I don't know. I thought. I thought this was a peculiar man. Plus, what does he do? Hard-bitten man. What does he do to the to the narrator? Causes him to doubt. I. Uh, I, I, I was uh, very suspicious of this man. Uh, he seemed. He seemed demonic. A hard-bitten man. He never complained about anything, I mean, in terms of, like, the ouchiness. He knew of the ouchiness, but... Okay, anywho, there you go. Uh, All right, well, before we... uh, I I don't know if Pastor Bukes... But, uh, so, you know, this whole entire story is character-driven, and each chapter is life and death situations. So, in every chapter, it's basically... It's a mini story of of, uh, life and death, and really it's a story kind of unto itself, uh, except for the narrator, obviously, uh, going through them. Um, But one of the things, though, that we kind of encounter in Chapter 4, but most specifically in Chapter 5, and then we see it throughout the rest of the book, is that um, there's no more screwing around. And uh, Dick says, you know, we have nothing to do with generality nor with any man but you and me. Like, we are very interested in this moment at this time. There's no more meantime, Dick says in Chapter 5. All that is over. We're not playing now. And so what is interesting is, is that, um, you know, each new character is faced with whether they see themselves as a sinner and turn from it um and so you know so this is the story of life and death and what's interesting is is that it doesn't matter what their sin is it's it's it it is a life and death situation and so when we read the books you know obviously chapter four the guy murdered somebody that's a big deal right now of course the the big ghost what was his deal he just couldn't what he just couldn't forgive I mean, this is a very dangerous situation to hold animosity towards. Of course, who's he? To- who's he holding it towards? A murderer. So most people, he's justified. Those are the right kind of people that you should be mad at. Um, okay, so that should cause us to pause. And uh, and so so each each chapter now we'll, we'll come across a sin and the even though they're short chapters, the danger is to just breeze through them. We want to spend a little time kind of meditating upon the ramifications of each scenario because it is is life and death. Now, the struggle of the character, though, is to simply acknowledge this. So like even in Chapter 4, the big ghost who's unwilling to forgive, what is he even unwilling to do before even forgiving that he has to what? That he should do something, he's very, he's unwilling to even to consider whether he should forgive this man or not. Um, and so, you know, this is very important because, um, you know, there there's this uh, when when the the big ghost is unwilling to forgive the murderer, he's also even unwilling to consider that he even should do it. And I think this is important for us as Christians is that uh, what we see is, is that even an acknowledgement that we should forgive someone is already a sign of forgiveness itself. And that's important for us because we, so we struggle with the reality. We are aware of our sinfulness. And uh, okay, so that's good. When we are aware of that, can these people accept who they are without help? Can they accept themselves as sinners without, without help? No, right? I mean, that's the whole point of these people showing up telling them they're sinners, is the guides. They can't do it by themselves. So this is very important for us as we consider how we... Because uh, I, I think as we read the book, we will find ourselves in the ghosts. We'll find ourselves in these people who are unwilling to do something that they should do in order to embrace the fullness of heaven and so so one of the things is is that we'll realize that we need to do something but we are unable to do it so you know just i, I, I bring out chapter four because you guys discussed it last week is that so this big ghost obviously as readers we know that he should forgive the murderer because the murderer, first of all, has been forgiven by God. And in fact, the guy he murdered has forgiven him, it seems like. Yeah. Um, so this man, or ghost or whatever, I, always, I switch back and forth in terms of what to call him. So, uh, so, so this guy, is, um, he, he's not only unwilling to forgive, but even to consider that he should have to forgive. But I think for, for many of us, hopefully, as we read this and we find out a situation where we say, uh, you know, I can't forgive this person, but I know I should, that is the point, that, that's part of our confession, because of course you can't do it. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that you're able to do that. And so this is, I think this is the beginning of, of uh, kind of the new life for us as Christians uh, and the difficulty of what that means then to 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 be there. So we see that throughout the book, right? Because, um, in order for the, well, like for instance, the narrator to be in this solid realm, there's great struggle, right? I mean, there's a struggle of actually just walking on the grass, you know, going across the river. And of course, we don't necessarily associate those struggles with kind of our, our existential struggles of learning to forgive someone and learning to love someone those are all part and parcel of our new reality there there's going to be so many transitions for us in the new creation uh even here on earth that we any sort of struggle that we come across isn't a um, isn't always a uh, a result of sin but it is absolutely uh part of the the new the new reality and the the transition in which which we'll have to go through so um anyways so so this is I think very important for us is we kind of consider each chapter and we, we consider what does each character need to die to, and, and then what that means, and then uh, what would be the, the kind of the, the the positive side if they were to um, or accept or you know whatever so uh, deny themselves or accept the fact that they're sinners, which hopefully is, says the same thing. Um, what, what would they actually gain from this that they can't actually, they can't imagine? So like, for instance, the guy in chapter 4, if he were to accept the fact that he needs to forgive, that he's, he himself wasn't perfect, right, because he says he didn't, he, he, he in fact wasn't perfect, and he has been forgiven, and because of his being forgiven, he is now able to forgive this murderer, what would he gain? Well, first of all, he would gain this friend back, right, this, this guy who's already in the solid realm. And he would gain actually the murderer. It'd be more. There's this there's more to his life that he would gain. That so he he feels like he had lost something, but through the forgiveness of sins now he would he would receive something. Or someone, I should say. He lost someone, he should receive someone. So this is important as we kind of go through each chapter and we'll kind of talk about the uh, ramifications of each chapter. Nancy. This, the unforgiving dialogue, I mean, a lot of this Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, so practically speaking, though, like, how would he? How, how would he, he? humble himself into uh, t- to acknowledging the fact that he doesn't know what he's talking about. And I, I think I think through that process of forgiveness, like him actually being able to acknowledge the. Uh, so, so when I use forgiveness, it, it, it is more of a, 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 a the bringing. The bringing together of of two two people, and not so much of releasing someone from a, a sin itself. Yeah, Shirley. It's, yes, it's bringing together of two people and, and then confessing basically the feeling, but what is also the underlying premise. Seems to always on all these characters, go back to the first commandment. Oh yeah. Oh yes, exactly. In, in fact, this is great, Shirley. I, I can't remember. I might have taken it out. There's conflicts in the book. There's two fundamental conflicts. One between man and God. uh, And the narrator, to a certain extent, wants to know that God is good, that God is just. And so, you know, he's... You can see this in some of the questions he's asking of the place itself. Well, yeah. That's right. So God himself, but the, the other aspect of the first commandment, surely, is... Who's the other God, in quotes, that's in play here? It's themselves. What's very interesting, and I think I, I, yeah, in this third, so the guides are there to help each ghost realize his or her situation. While the ghosts wrestle with their guides as they're confronted with whatever needs to die, it's really not the guides the ghosts combat, but acknowledging God and admitting their own culpability. The guides are mere scapegoats that allow the ghosts to evade their own culpability. The illusion of man-versus-man conflict becomes apparent. Who are they really fighting? Themselves and God. Yeah, I mean, they're fighting God because they, they want, they, they're, they're in charge. So, um, that's great. That's exactly right, Shirley. That's the underlying premise. Now, of course, remembering back from Confirmation, uh, the ten Commandments you know two through two through ten are really commentary in the first one, right some form of uh, yeah, so um you see this kind of played out in real flesh all right, I think that 's enough of that nonsense the um so so the next thing too though, as we continue along is the solid versus ghostly existence. Uh, I think chapter three was more about kind of what the the scenario, and then chapter six that we read this last week with the uh, the, the waterfall, uh, that's still, you, you have this character, but you still find out a little bit more about, like, kind of what life's like. And so um, one of the things that we need to kind of consider in terms of the death and resurrection aspect of each character is the resurrection of the flesh itself. And we have 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 58, and then the resurrection accounts that we've been hearing during Easter season. Luke 24, John chapter 20, 21. So Jesus, what does he always do when he comes and he shows himself in the resurrection accounts? What does he make a big deal about? This flesh. flesh. Not a ghost. And uh, that's really important for us as we we think about, you know, kind of how, how, you know, where does um, Lewis get these ideas from? Well, it's from Scripture is that the only flesh that can live in this heaven or whatever it's called is the flesh that has been resurrected it's It's through the resurrected flesh of Jesus that they uh, that you know you can start eating the apples and but the only way you can be resurrected is if you are dead and not mostly dead. Miracle Max, Princess bride I, I have the Quote right there, Miracle Max says to, did I spell that right? In, Inigo, Matea? how do you say his name? Inigo. Inigo, yeah, that's right, okay, good. Miracle Max is the uh, kind of the warlock kind of guy. He says he probably owes you money, huh? I'll ask him. He's dead, he can't talk. Woo-hoo-hoo. look who knows so much. It just so happens that your friend here is mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Mostly dead is slightly alive. With all dead, well, with all dead, there's usually only one thing you can do. What's that? Go through his clothes and look for loose change. So, so what we find out, I mean, these people are dead in the book because they're not going back to Earth. But what Lewis is kind of, uh, you know, showing is is the reality is that um, these. These uh, ghosts, in order to enter into the solid realm, is they really have to be all the way dead. I mean, they really have to be dead, dead, not mostly dead. Um, and 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 that's the only way you'll be enfleshed with the resurrected flesh of Christ, is if you're you're you have no no more flesh. You have no more part in the whole thing. And so um, I say that because I, I well I thought it was. I thought it was Chapter Ten, which I thought was going to be read last week, but I mean next week. So we have to wait two weeks. Is where um, well, so far no, no ghost has taken nine up nine nine the author, right? Yeah. It's just eight, nine last next week. So I'm, I jumped the boat a little bit on this. But as you read up, as you, as you read up on this, yeah, sorry, Marilyn, um, is that uh, you don't find too many people who are willing to take up the offer, but you do find out. Uh that I mean you do see you witness something actually happen, and it it's it's happening with respect to what 's what I just said here is that this person has to go all the way dead, and you get to see kind of how that is okay there's a lizard involved, which is kind of creepy, but all right chapter five okay, so so these are the kind of things that you, i I always think about as we kind of read each chapter and as we take a look at each chapter so let 's take a look at each chapter um so you have uh, the fat ghost, the bishop, and um, his fundamental problem, which says, do you really, so Dick says to him, do you really think there are no sins of intellect? So he, his sin is sin of uh, his mind. Um, and he says, there are indeed, Dick. There is high bound prejudice and intellectual dishonesty and timidity and stagnation, but honest opinions fearlessly followed, they are not sins. Um, what is this man trying to say about honest opinions and sincerity yeah. when it comes to beliefs I should say well, I <laughs> yeah right all the Christ, all heaven, is what he's right no. well he he's he's say well he, he's not saying specifically but all so if if you have an honest or sincere opinion. Well, that in fact is what. It's valid. It's valid. Right. And I, I think in the scenario, because he, he uh, so actually he would he would he would argue that not all roads lead to heaven. Because what does he say about heaven? He doesn't really believe it exists. Yes. Yeah. 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 All right, so, so this goes with his uh, uh, um, free inquiry. What's the most important thing when asking questions? Well, most of us, when we ask a question, what do we want? Yes. When he asks questions, what does he want? Well, okay, I would say that's even, it's even gone too far. He wants something even before that. He, yeah, he wants the ability just to talk about it you ask a question the main point is asking the question and not not actually receiving an answer so this that that's part of the problem right with uh, heaven or this whatever he did, well dick you know calls it uh heaven but um his problem with heaven I'm sorry the 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 bishop's problem with heaven is is related to uh um Free inquiry is what? He sees heaven as having... Yes. No, you can't, you can't talk anymore. Because what do you find in heaven? Related to your questions. Mm-hmm. Answers. Now, here's the thing, though. is what, When he hears the word answer, what does he understand? Uh, I'm sorry, again, the fat ghost. When the fat ghost, or the bishop understands having answers what does he think now in terms of uh discussion it ends, it's, ends but no but is is that what dick is saying when he says you'll you'll have answers this is the this is the realm of answers not of questions yeah so this is very interesting is that so the faco says there's stagnation that's stagnation and that's not good to have you you know you won't be able to learn anything if you already have the answers. But what is he presuming about the answers themselves? That they, that, that what? That he can what? <laughs> well, that's right. So this is the great thing about heaven is that the answers themselves are so robust and large that in fact, what? It takes a long, I mean, it takes all this time to learn what they mean. And so he's, he's misunderstanding... Well, I'm sorry. So who is the final judge to the answers according to the fat ghost? The who, who's the final authority to answers? Himself. And, of course, he understands himself in limited terms so that the answer is limited by himself or by other people. But, of course, Dick is not arguing that. He's arguing the fact that when you do have answers according to God... That they run by God, not by people. And that answers, when God gives answers, can be explored. Uh, I think I quote that. Um, Maybe I don't. About him drinking. You're free to drink, but you're not free to be thirsty or something like that, right? Yes. Yes. Which would make sense, right? So you think about it, I'm thirsty, you're free to drink, and continue drinking, but you're not free to be thirsty anymore. And why would that be a good thing? <laughs> Who wants, because uh, thirsty is a sign of what? Death, lacking, not more. So, so this is very interesting, is that what the, the bishop is arguing in terms of intellectual or, or kind of the life of the mind... Is actually less and not more. And what he doesn't realize is that when he embraces where Dick is going, where Dick is wants to lead him, is that his mind will actually, yeah. I have the quote. Oh man, I totally forgot. Uh, I didn't put it. It's it's from our book from last year, Strange Idols, The Idol of the Idea, page forty-seven. So you can put that in there. Elizabeth Scalia. You know, we had that whole discussion about the idol of the idea. And this is what's driving, this is what his idol is. His life and death situation is, is that he, of course, doesn't believe in the resurrection, which, of course, of us would say, well, he doesn't believe in God. But the fact is, is that he doesn't believe in God because he believes in himself. He, he, he's his own, his own thing. So what is the solid person's cure for the bishop? Is to what? you could give two answers the the little answer is what repent and believe but there's more to that that is uh to admit that he he just doesn't know anything like he doesn't know even i think so this goes back to the aspect if he would be willing to say i am ready to learn that would be his first step towards the solid realm but he's not even willing to learn. Oh, he's only willing to learn what? Under certain conditions. Yeah. Yeah. I'm willing to go with you under certain conditions. He wants a wider sphere of usefulness. He first wants to be useful, which I think it was, I didn't see that coming. I thought that was interesting. In heaven, you are useless. Which, of course, for all the Thomas Tank Engine people, <laughs> just rubs up against that. You're a very useful engine, Thomas. Okay. In heaven, you are useless. Which I think is a very interesting question to ponder. Grace has no need of you. That kind of makes me feel bad. I like being needed. Right? That kind of makes me feel like... What? But if we slow down and think about it, Uh love where does find love its uh, find its uh this goes back I uh, Pastor Bukes brought this up with the Heidelberg disputation. <laughs> Thesis number twenty eight. <laughs> um, where does love find its loveliness or, or lovableness? It's It's, it's unlovable there's, so when someone loves you, they love you because they love you. they don't love you because you are lovable. so it's hard to admit it, right? There's a little part I like about myself, you know I mean there's other parts I don't like about myself, but I always tell people i always I think each one of us in our minds say, "Hey, this person loves me because of that part I like about myself <laughs> but but this man, I mean he, he wants to be useful. And Dick says, "I can't. There's no guarantee. There's No. There's no. You, no. You want. You're not needed up in heaven. This is totally for you, not because of you." Penny. I think we want to have value, and if we don't see a value in ourselves, then, you know what we have no use. That's right. So, but to be valued in heaven is because Christ did everything. Because. That's right. Value you, but we. You don't see what He values in us. You know? Right. Katie. I mean it's like these babies, babies aren't useful. They are not useful. <laughs> because they're so cute though, we tell ourselves. Well, but they're not cute when they're like all over the place. Brody's gonna wake up. Um this is true. Yeah, uh all right, this is great. Um okay. Right. The way it's kind of beautiful, so like this unconditional love. It's right. The kind time of the way you frame it. Like, that's right. I don't need to be needed like That's, that's right. There's Nothing no the usefulness that I've offered. Right. They don't care. I just want me to do that's exactly right. And so this th- this is the problem with the guy, right? He's not willing to frame it in terms of unconditional love or or you know, the pure grace. He he uh he uh, you know, on some level he wants to claim, lay claim to something. Holly. Uh This is reminding me of an old friend that we had who couldn't attend the church because they didn't need her. That's right. So they had to go to a different church because like they could use her, they, could, they needed her to fill holes. Yes. And that made them feel like, more More needed. needed. <laughs> so That's right. Well, because it didn't make sense. I mean, Jesus does everything, you know, so just, just let him do everything. Um, all right, I, you know, I so I gave a couple Bible passages up here. So 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, Paul warns Timothy about people with itchy ears. Itching ears, I should say, not itchy ears, itching ears. I'm not sure exactly what the difference is, but... Um, and uh, they're interested in gathering people around them who will tell them what they want to hear. So, um, uh, so, so there's already a biblical kind of mandate to the reality that we'll be confronted with something that we might not like, but we'll, at the same time is true. However, too, which is interesting, I read this in the chapel: is in Mark chapter 12 and the the notion of honest inquiry is you have a scribe who comes up to Jesus and asks, you know, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus, now, of course, in this text, there is no hidden message. Like in the Gospel of Luke, someone asks Jesus, and it says in order to test him. That's right. Good job. So you picked it up. That's great. That's fantastic. So in Mark chapter 12, this man comes, and he's listened to this whole kind of conversation that's happening in Mark chapter 12 between Jesus and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And, or maybe the Sadducees are after this. I, I, anyways, the religious leaders. And he, he's like, whoa. And he, he asks a question. Now, he doesn't ask a question because he doesn't know the answer. He's asking a question to verify kind of what he already believes. But through the context, as Carol's already pointed out, There's there's genuineness in this this guy's question. He's not there to test him, in in the sense of uh, some of the other gospels' accounts. He, He wants to know, and so Jesus says, "Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself." And the man says, "You are right, teacher." Which, of course, when you call him teacher, he's ascribing authority to him and his place as a people. So you know it's it's the proper position. And then uh, he says, you're right. These are all more than all the whole burnt offerings. And Jesus says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. So, which of course means, you know, physically like he's next to Jesus. So he's not not far away from the kingdom of God. But he's also not far from the kingdom of God in terms of kind of in the, the spiritual realm. So you think about it. He could be put into this book very easily in this situation and be the anti-type to the bishop. You have a guy who's a religious authority who supposedly have all the answers, right, because he's a scribe. He would be a scribe of the temple at this time because it's, it's after Jesus has walked into Jerusalem. And he's asking a question. So you have these two these two religious leaders, one who actually asks questions and is not close... I mean, who is uh, close to the kingdom of God. And you have another religious leader who's who's asking questions and is very far from the kingdom of God because he's asking questions that he already knows answers to. Um, anyways, so uh, these these are the kind of the two texts that were going through my mind. Now, the interesting thing about Mark chapter 12, and not to spend too much time on it, is uh, it comes to the end, Mark chapter 10... Jesus upholds the child as the the ultimate disciple. And of course, what does the dick, what does he try to have the bishop do? Go back and be the child that he once was, where he was asking questions freely. And of course, the bishop's like, well, I put away childless things. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. So you have this build-up to Mark chapter twelve. This child got, you know, all these children being the ultimate form of disciple. And now you have to ask yourself, does this really happen? In Holy Scripture, do you have people who act this way? In Mark chapter 12, you do. You have somebody who actually asks a question, like a child does. All right, we we talked in a circle there, but let's let's go to chapter 6. You can't take it with you. Simon the Magician, Acts chapter 8. I don't know if you know, remember the story, but Simon comes up. He sees Peter doing doing these awesome things. Simon actually becomes... Uh, he's baptized. And then he sees uh, the power of the Holy Spirit release people. I can't remember. I think it's, it's both heal them and uh, release them from demon possession. And does anyone remember what he tries to do? He wants to buy the, to buy the power. power. And, of course... Peter rebukes him and damns him to hell, and then Simon says, oh, please pray that this doesn't happen to me. And then it's the end. We don't know what happens. So, that's a good warning. Um, so, you know, there's this whole, this whole thinking of like uh, uh, this. Okay, so Ikey or Ikey, Ikey in chapter 2, what does he want to do? He kind of wants to tr- create commerce in hell. He wants to set up. Maybe a little business to make it not so bad, and if we got a little commerce. Then people would be uh, uh, willing to kind of interact with each other, and it'd, it'd be a better, you know know—it'd be a nicer place. So you know, this is what he's trying to do. He's trying to get something, and uh, and so at a certain level, he's trying to create this transaction. But of course, um, the waterfall says you can't take it with you. Now I'm going to do a little foreshadowing. Why can't he take it with him? There's there's two reasons, and if anybody read ahead, you might be able to know why. He literally can't take it with him. Nancy. I don't know in reading ahead, yeah. Right. That that's the, that's the biblical answer. That that's yeah. That's right. And then of course, um, there's a whole. Holy and unholy and you know pure and pure. Uh, Does anyone has anyone read ahead and how big how big is hell? It's tiny, right? So why can't he take an apple into hell? It won't fit. Yeah. So um, why it's you know it's it's a very interesting little idea though because. Again, it, it goes to Lewis's understanding the the wonder of heaven compared to the the, the smallness of hell. I, I, mean, it's, I think it's great. Uh, okay. I mean, he even tries taking the smaller step. Right. That doesn't work. You know, he finally gave up on the bigger one. And, and he finally got one, which of course is an amazing feat. And but you know, it's so heavy that it bends them over. Well, yeah, and you're you're left- you know, does he really ever make it back to the bus? probably not, because this right is this across the river yet? Did he cross the river yet, or is he going to cross the river after this? okay what, well, is it's going to be a long journey right this is the part where like he he it like, takes him one hour to go like. Just a few feet and all that. So, yeah. Okay. Oh, Isaiah fifty-five. All the trees trees will clap their hands. If you're a Sufjan Stevens fan, there's a song about. that Um, All right. A lot of biblical imagery in that one. That was a short chapter, though. I don't know. Well, and he's got the voice that tells him he can't take him with him. I mean. Well, yeah. And whose voice is that? Trying to go back to the bus. Right. Obviously, it's, it's the, voice the voice of God. Wow, we're assuming. Go no away without taking it with you. You can't take that back. Now, the angel, the angel of one who's crucified. So, well, the tree, too, is a capital T, isn't it? It's capital T. You know, I, I've been critiqued by someone very close to me about my use of capitalizations. Um, <laughs> I think, I think maybe just subconsciously C.S. Lewis has made a big impact on me because <laughs> he uses capitalizations uh, very, very, very uh, often. So anyways, though so the tree is a capital tree, which of course might, you know, might cause us to wonder why that tree is capitalized. A proper name could be a proper name. Could be a proper tree, type of tree, mm. golden apples. Like the tree oh, the tree. Well, yeah, right. I, 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 that. I mean, who knows what it is? I'm just, I'm speculating. The other, because the other aspect too is the trees by what, by the river. Yeah. The some and the, unreal. and the waterfall is kind of a peculiar waterfall, right? Because. Well, it's like two grand, but I, you can still take kind of take it in, and it it's kind of a waterfall, but not a waterfall. It's, it's a peculiar picture. Holly. The whole bit about taking the apple from the tree, which is what I was thinking about. Yeah. When I was thinking about it, the tree of life, it's a voice. Uh, right. They didn't want me to live in hell forever. It's because the apple's actually numb. That's right. The tree is eternal. It's an amazing, life. Yeah, right. That's right. So, uh, yeah, well, that would be the other aspect. He can't take it with him because I'm sure someone would show up and take it from him, just like that. Because he went, uh, I think we might have talked about this before. So uh, God bars Adam and Eve from eating of the tree of life, not because he wants them to die. I mean, he does, but not, not because he's mean. Um, he wants to bar them from the tree of life because if they were to eat of the tree of life while sinners, that means they would live eternally as sinners. But death has been brought into the world to stop people from sinning. And that's why death is... Well, That now we know for sure through the resurrection of Jesus why death can actually be part of... Well, it's why we call it Good Friday. I mean, that's why it's a good death. Death can be called good. Um... It can only be called good, though, because of the resurrection. I mean, death is not good. Like, fundamentally. Okay. All right, right, we don't have much time. Uh, Chapter 7. The cynical dude. Cynicism kills. Why? Why? Why would cynicism kill? What does cynicism do to a person? You don't take him se- Well, why don't you take him seriously? OK. Now, the hard-bitten man, he, no, he, so anything that is, well, first of all, what kind of uh, world does he create? Or, I'm sorry, does he describe? How would you... How would you... There's no trust. Anymore. No trust? You know, and, and they put all these tourist things wherever they want to put them. I mean, and all you got to have is publicity. It's a conspiracy? It's a conspiracy. Things that are put there are not to... Create joy or be good things, but to what? I mean, you don't even really know, but what what, what do you think?: Sounds like getting their pockets Yeah, now, pockets line, but the fact is, is that really true in this situation? Does anyone have any money? No uh, to trap people um, Now that causes the narrator right to start doubting. Oh, well, and then the guy says even hell isn't right because you know there's supposed to be fiery red fire and, that's right. and everything else. So that's not there. Too, because you know not there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, he You're thinks. A I know. There? Well, he's, he's C. S. Lewis is English, so you could do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like Johnny Cash saying that John Wilkes Booth and. There's a great, well, never mind. There's a great song on forgiveness. And uh, he uses John Wilkes Booth as like a Judas character. And even John Wilkes Booth is walking into the gates, St. Peter's or something. It's a great song. Anyway, sorry. Yes. So we we can use John Wilkes Booth because we're Americans. and If you're English, you can talk about Henry VIII. Okay. Okay. yeah, no, the world he creates, first of all, it, it's uh, joyless. Um, every, there's always a problem with something. And that whatever is created, there's always a story behind the story. It's never for what, what the person uh, says it is, which goes to the trust issue. Now, the thing is, though, is if you kind of test his theory, though, does it work out? It's also very isolated. Well, it... That's why I asked the question. He has no one with him. Maybe it's, it's, if you don't trust anything. Right. Or anybody. <laughs> how, yeah. yourself. yeah, it makes sense. You're just kinda You're all, by yourself, all by yourself. Now, the uh so the narrator asks some simple questions about like, well, where are you gonna go? He's like, I don't know. I've been everywhere. And it's all the same. Okay, so Can that actually be true? Well, no. I mean, if you've been anywhere, I mean, if you've been to Wheat, if you've been up to northern Wisconsin, you know that not every place is the same. I mean, I got a lot of family members who uh, are very different people, so (laughs) not everything is the same. The uh, the other aspect too, though, is so so even the world he describes just simply isn't true because of the reality that there's, I mean, it doesn't take a genius to know that there's differences. The other aspect, too, though, is his, um, uh, I think I have that. Oh, what would you like to do if you had your choice? Meaning that, hey, you know, it's so bad, you know, if you had a choice to make it better, what would you do? And what is his response? It's, well that's not my job it's the management's job to do it but he mistrusts the management. the management so if you don't trust the management to do something better then anything that they do to try to make it better what are they gonna do you're gonna you're not gonna trust it so it will always be understood in this conspiracy theory so his fundamental view is basically wrong which then goes to his scenario about if you go to a is it a hotel yeah and there's they serve bad eggs a normal hot, you know when you complain about it the boss will say i'm sorry i'll get you new eggs well his presumption is what that he knows what a bad egg is and what a good egg is but the fact is is that he has no understanding of what a good egg is so there's no way he can understand what a bad egg is and a good egg is there's no distinction for him so where he raises a lot of questions that causes the narrator to kind of doubt for the first time that maybe this solid realm isn't what it all it, you know it is what they say it is if you test the questions and the perspective that the hard the hard-bitten man right is a hard-bitten man says, you f- you come to a conclusion that he's just like everybody else. He needs to let go of something, and he considers himself the rule of all things. His idol is himself still. And this is very important for us, especially as Christians, because when people start asking questions of our faith, whether it be the historicity of Scripture, the historicity of Jesus, you know, miracles, um, you know the, the the resurrection itself. You're gonna you're gonna be approached with uh, questions that, on a certain level, make sense. Well, well, if that's true, then maybe, you know, something about my faith could be untrue. All right, you you have to slow down. And you have to apply some critical thinking to to the very point. Because the hard bitten man is uh, he's wrong because he he won't be able to tell you well what t- describe me what a bad egg is and what a good egg is of course what will his response be that's not my job that's someone else's job so he claims no no responsibility so cynicism clouds your worldview to the point where you cannot see goodness even if it is served to you at a hotel this is why cynical cynicism kills Cynicism, cynicism kills because there is no good in the world, and the only thing left is, is death. I put, I put the Bible passages there, John 10, and I think I just, yes, John 8, truth sets you free. John 10, I came to give life and give it abundantly. and John 16, 16 through 24 is uh, my joy. Uh, your, your joy will be full. I'll give you my joy, and your joy will, joy will be full. Um, if you go a little bit farther in John 16, verse 33, Jesus says, "In the world you will have trouble, but don't worry. I've overcome the world." So what Jesus does is he, and of course, uh, you will you see it in the in in the description of of this reality is that there is there is so much going on in this place where he is at that it's more than he could ever take in and that excess or that abundance is is a beautiful and wonderful thing you catch him describing that like for instance the describing the light it's like too much but it's really beautiful too at the same time like it's too bright mm-hmm. but it's it's also very beautiful um the uh the description of the waterfall itself and just the landscape, it, it, it like he, he said it was hard to describe because it was so beautiful. It was hard to take in that at the same time, that abundance was what made it beautiful in the first place. Um, And then just the description of, you know, Hey, there's some frolicking lions over there playing and, you know, the lilies resurrection, lilies all around the tree and, um, Easter lilies, I should say. And then uh, well, then you'll see some more of it later. So so what? this man, he comes into the situation saying, oh, this is so wonderful. And you have this guy that create, creates doubt and say, is it really? That's why I think he, he kind of sounds like Satan a little bit. Um, because that's what, how Satan kind of causes doubt in the garden, is that God says, hey, look at all this stuff. This is all for you. This is wonderful. And then Satan comes along and says, did he really say that? Is it really? So, um... Or in this, guy, in this case, the guy says, well, you know, it's not raining really right now, but you better believe it's going." It, to Yeah, what happens when it rains? Well, you're right. What happens if a nuclear bomb blows up? I don't know. I mean, you know, could happen. Okay. All right, chapters 8 and 9... I hope you're enjoying the book. I, I really enjoy it. Krista.: Who is what?: Oh, uh, I don't think so. his His uh, wife was Dorothy, something, right? Okay.